You're listening to episode 160 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Listen, let's cut Let's cut the shit. There's no joke this week. We all want to be playing Pokemon. Let's just truck through. <laughs> Pals pulls. Let's go. It's moving along, all right? <laughs> you know what, man? Pokemon is cool, but... It's not the only thing happening. Comics are happening, okay? Mm, but Pokemon only a, a new Pokemon only happens once every two or so years. Kale, if, so I, if I can just It's an event. If I can just quote the professor from Sword and Shield, there are other things that are important to know about besides Pokemon, Kale. Not right now. Not right now. <laughs> There's a time for Pokemon and that time is right well, now. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys what else is important to know about, and that's where you can find us on the internet and who we are. We are the Comics Pals. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Uh, if you want to catch us on another podcast hosting platform, you can do that by searching the Comics Pals in Google. Check your favorite podcast platform, and we will most likely be there. If we're not, yell at Marco. Yell at him because he's not here. Yell at him because you don't like the cut of his <laughs> jib. You know, whatever it is. Um... If you want to catch us on social media, we are the Comics Pals there as well. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube page. We've got all of our interviews from New York Comic Con out now. So if you haven't gone to check those out, you can binge them if you feel like doing that. Um, or if you've just forgotten, now's a great time. Especially because Fill Me In is up. Uh, we've got... It's 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 hilarious. They're always really good. Uh, <laughs> Classic comedy content. There you go. Triple C. Like that. Um, yeah, do yourself a favor. Go laugh. It's fun stuff. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. We've got book clubs out. The book clubs is just, you know, a concept you've heard before where we take a book, read it. Hopefully you guys read it alongside us and, you know, we give you our in-depth thoughts about it and we uh we argue sometimes and that's always fun uh most recently we put out what uzumaki yeah yeah uh that was good november's is right around the corner now yeah uh next week i think you guys will think so, be yeah. listening to secret wars we talked about uh the oh, second yeah. or well i guess it's actually the third secret wars uh this one being of course the one by jonathan hickman fourth House of Ideas, baby. Yeah. Because <laughs> wasn't there a Secret Wars yeah, 2? Yeah, And then Secret War, and then Secret yeah, Wars. Yeah, so, but this is the third Secret Wars, <laughs> you know, with an S. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not counting Secret <laughs> yeah. War. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> so, give that a listen. I think you guys will enjoy Who says it. comics are confusing? <laughs> Losers. Everyone. Literally everyone. So, uh, we're going to be reviewing three books on the show this week. We're reviewing X-Men 1, or X-Men 2, actually, Fallen Angels 1, and Event Leviathan number 6. So, we've got a lot to talk about, but I actually want to start the show by talking to you guys about Disney+. Plus. So, Disney+, Plus is finally out. Who got it? I haven't gotten it yet because I was going to get it day one, but I saw there was all that drama with, like, the servers not working and, any, and everything, so I decided I'd hold off, and then Pokemon came out, so I've been a little preoccupied. I'm thinking I might start my, my trial, like, maybe next week because I'd really love to check out The Mandalorian. Kale, did you – have you checked it out? Hell no. Okay. 
Hell no. I ain't got no money, dog. Have you, have you checked it out through other means? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't ventured into those waters either. I'm genuinely not interested. Okay. Also, can't, I don't even think you can get it yet. Can you, Kale? I don't think it's available I, yeah. in Europe. Yeah, that's true. That's another thing. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure yeah. uh, if I can do that. Yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, well, I got it, and I watched uh, the first episode of The Mandalorian. This is not. You know, I'm not going to review it or whatever, but it's really good. It's it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's really really good. I thought you weren't going to review it. Jesus, uh, I was all turn excited. This in, turn this into a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> we watched The Mandalorian. <laughs> hey man, um, that's all everyone's talking about right now. It's a really really good show. I also the first thing I chose to watch though was X Men, the animated series. Had to do nice. it. Mm-hmm. Had to do it. And it's it's just it's so good, dude. Well, that's a word for it. Oh, get out of <laughs> here! Get out of here, dude. Those first look, look, look. I'm not I'm not saying there's not uh you know, it didn't feel good at the time. My memory of it is very very good. I don't I don't know if good is what I would call it in 2019. Not? <laughs> I'm 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 with you on that one, Kale. I was always more of an X Men Evolution guy, but. You guys are ridiculous. I I defy you to watch the first like two seasons, three seasons, and tell me that they're not some of the best X Men stuff that's ever been out. I'm down to go back, man. We should do like a we should do like an X Men like we'll like we'll go watch the episodes again and review the season. I'd do that with you. Yeah, why don't you do a Pete watches it and then realizes that he's wrong? How about that? That's it. fine. Let's see. All right. <laughs> so the best part of that show is the theme song. I think we can all agree there. Um. Yeah. Probably. Uh, that riff, dude. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> man, I want to watch. Uh, what was it? Spider-Man Unlimited. Is that the one where he goes into the future? That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> that show is so fucking wild. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's so weird. Spider-Man Unlimited is not particularly good, but I love watching that show. First of all, yep. the opening theme song is fantastic. Second of all, I think Spider-Man's costume in that show looks awesome. It's it's perfect. Yeah. Is it was it just Unlimited or was it the original one that had the part where it opens with that like weird robot voice, the radioactive Spider-Man? Just the original. No, I think I think that was yeah. the original. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> those shows, those shows are gold, bro. Wasn't that Aerosmith or something? I have no idea. That's weird. That's that's a really funny fact I, if that's true. I, I legitimately think it was. I'm gonna look it yeah, up. You do that. Please do. Uh, meanwhile, but yeah, I, go ahead. I, I, I've had like a bunch of my like n- like normie friends reach out to me and be like, "Dude, did you know all the Marvel shows are on Disney Plus?" I was like. Yeah, dude, it's the, the, that catalog rolls deep. Like Hulk, Iron Man shows people don't even remember. Yeah, uh, ten million people have decided that they want to be a part of Disney Plus, which is a big number for day one. Uh, yeah, I'm sure by this no point, jokes. It's, it's gotten a lot higher. Um, just a PSA for anyone who wants to jump in but isn't sure. If you are a Verizon customer, you can get it for free for an entire year as long as you have Verizon Unlimited. Um, phone service. So, you know, brilliant on their part for that one. We talked about this last week. How like everyone's trial is gonna run up right as all the Marvel stuff is starting to pop off. Yep. 
you already be on the hook and you're like, oh, it's fucking eight bucks. Who cares? Exactly. So the, the Spider-Man, the anime theme was performed by Joe Perry, the lead guitarist and occasional lead singer of Aerosmith. There you well, go. That's why it's so good. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Dude looks like a spider. <laughs> no. Nice try. <laughs> yeah, you've done better. Okay. I'll try again later. Don't. You, you don't yeah. have to. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's jump into the palace pools here. And we're going to start with Kale. Uh, you chose the question, the deaths of Vic Sage. Yeah. So this is a new series from uh, Jeff Lemire, uh, I think co-written by Dennis Cowan, who was uh, one of the original uh, uh, writers of like the questions like seminal 90s series mm, okay. uh that is is by far like the the character defining stuff that is supposed to be amazing um and the art is done by bill sinkovich bill sinkovich um Sinkowitz? so on it's sinkovich okay um so on that on the art side alone i'm totally down for that um the question is undeniably one of my favorite characters because he's so underused and the stuff that he is used for is generally really good. Um, and so I'm really excited to see Lemire tackle him along with, you know, the, the seminal talent behind the, the series. I love it when one of the creators or one of the, you know, most celebrated uh, creators from a series, you know, even if they weren't the original person, uh, mm. can come back and, and and still have that magic touch. Yep. So I hope for your sake that it is uh, what you expect. Well, it's a limited series. Yeah. So if it's not, not too big a loss. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a good place to be with it. I think a lot of times, uh, at least for me, I've been disappointed. When here lately, yeah. yeah. What when you mean um, when there's that return? Yeah, yeah. Chris Claremont has come back a couple of times recently, and it's not been tremendous. I think I think a lot of times the the way that the the medium style has evolved doesn't always suit what they originally brought to brought to it i feel like it's tough too man it's like i think you see this not just in comics but like with a lot of creative mediums like we're in this era right now of like bringing things back and returning to old wells and like i think there's something to be said for like things being created in a time and place you know and not necessarily just that like the medium has evolved beyond that writer or whatever but like that they like at that point they were hungry and younger and they had something to say and they had a direction they wanted to go and now there's like when when chris claremont was writing the seminal claremont run it wasn't it didn't have the same expectations on it that it does when he comes back you know and like you're trying to get this guy to recapture something that you felt 20 years ago you know it's just like I think that's a tough sell, and I think it works sometimes, and when it does work, it's awesome, you know, and it's it feels like coming home, but I think you're you're more often to find that it's just not the same, because how could it be, you know? 
I will say, though, that uh, Chris Claremont worked on X-Men Black Magneto uh, a couple a year a year back, I think. And I that wasn't that long yeah, That yeah. was hot fire. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, that was really, really strong. Um, hmm. But yeah, I think generally speaking, at least for me, that's the case. Um, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Mm, that's a good way to put it. Uh, you also chose Grass Kings Volume 2. Yeah, I I picked this uh, from twofold. I know Marco would really be pumped about yeah. this, but uh, this book is crazy good. Um, it's about so it's about this uh, sort of little society that set itself apart from uh, the regular world, and it's it's ruled by kind of a, a redneck. Guy, and <laughs> he, his his wife his wife dies, and 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 then some some woman just shows up one day, and um, the it's wild, it's wild. It's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's very good, and Tyler Jenkins art. It's a it's a kind of a scratchy watercolor. Um, that is excellent. That's awesome. Uh, and then Pete and I both chose Marauders number two. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really love Marauders out of all of the stuff that's spun out of the House and Power stuff. I think it's the book I'm the most interested in. It's got a great cast. I really like the premise. Uh, I thought it was probably the strongest number one of anything that's come out um, in terms of like voice and just really like getting its hooks in me and wanting to know where it goes from here you know um not just for its broader implications but just because like i want to follow this team you know yeah Mm. likewise um all right let's jump into the news and this this next this first thing is not really something that's news i guess but i wanted to Make sure to bring up the one-year anniversary of the death of Stan Lee. Uh, obviously, Stan Lee is is you know the guy in comics, and you know I don't even want to get into the whole you know debate uh, Kirby Lee, you know whatever. Stan Lee publicly is is the guy, and uh, his death was something that rocked the entire industry. So you know. Who would we be to not acknowledge it? Uh, the anniversary was on the 12th of November. And it feels so weird that it's been a year, right? I Yeah. I, that was the thing that hit me the most about it, I think. Was, like, having that moment of just, like... Uh, I don't know, like... I, I remember when he passed, and it was one of those things where you, we all knew it was going to happen at some point, right? The guy was old. He, his health was in decline. There was all that drama. Like, it had to happen eventually. Um, but I think about, you know, the last 10 years, right, that I've been going to New York Comic Con, and he was a fixture there, you know? And I saw him every year. And, like, he his passing felt like, in a big way, Um, the end of an era, you know, at least of my life. And the fact that it's been a year since then is making, made me really think a lot about like the older you get, how quickly time moves. Yeah. And like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like it it really, um, 
it made me stop and think in a way that I didn't necessarily expect it to because, you know, it already happened and it is something that happened so long ago now. If But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird one. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up though because I think it is uh, – Regardless of the fact that that Stan was a complicated guy um, is probably the nicest way to put it. Uh, you know, I think anybody who's into comics like owes him something. So, I think the three of us were on that episode actually. Only was it just yeah. us? I think it was just. I think it was just the three oh, of us. Wow, that's poetic. Uh, one year later, Phil and Marco still not on their jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, you know, rest in peace, stand the man, and, uh, we'll see you soon. Maybe not, I don't know. Hopefully Sorry? not, hopefully not too soon, shit. <laughs> well, listen, some of us sooner than others, buddy, alright? Me, I'm on my way. Uh, so, this, this was, oh, this was shocking, uh, this, this next thing. So, The Rock has officially announced that a Black Adam movie is coming and not only is it coming but it has a release window uh, it, it's coming December 2021 now uh, uh, the, the 22nd of December I should say now I guess we know that The Rock is going to be playing Black Adam, we've known that for a really really long time what makes this surprising to me is a couple of things. So, um, The Rock announced, made the announcement on Instagram, which is an interesting place to announce something of this nature. Um, but what what got me is that he's going to be a hero. Mm, I was going to bring that up. I thought I'd heard that somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I I read it in a press release that he that he's gonna be playing Black Adam as a hero. Now, in Kondak, Black Adam is a hero because he's not like Doctor Doom in the sense that Doctor Doom rules Latveria with an iron fist. He doesn't. Yeah. He, like I don't really get the impression that Doctor Doom cares a ton about his people, and if he does, he uses really ruthless means against them to keep them in line. Black Adam really isn't like that. Not not with his people. It's when he's outside of his of his place that he's a little bit more uh, ruthless and 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 cold. So. My only thought is that maybe this movie will will play him as a hero in Kondok. I, I I'm interested by that because I I think um it was when we read the Jeff Johns uh, Shazam run for our book club a while ago where there was that whole um kind of duality of the character where like he was ruthless and you know a killer right but like there was that scene where he goes and like murders that businessman because like he thinks of him he's like making an analogy between him and like you know um like a, a, a evil pharaoh or something like that. I don't quite remember the the thing, but he thinks of the picketers and the working class people as slaves to this person. So he's like, "I'm going to kill your master and and strike off your chains." Right. So it's like, it, from our context, he threw a fucking you know a white collar dude out of a twenty story window to his death, 
and that's a little shocking, but his intentions there were, were positive and, you know, like, so I, 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 I like the idea of him as a, like, uh, uh, a complex kind of guy who toes the line between like villain and anti-hero, depending on what side of the argument you're on. You know, I think that that is kind of interesting and it's a little more dynamic um, than, than it could be right. Just making him a villain. Yeah. So that could be cool. I wonder though, if this is sort of, if they're trying to mold the character to fit into like the rocks image right i think on some level yeah right like the rock is uh one of the most popular actors in hollywood right now he's beloved by a lot of people like i i think i think that's a good theory yeah i i should i guess what's what's weird to me about that is like why does that mean he can't play a villain especially in a kid's what you know shazam was ostensibly a kid's movie like yeah i I don't know. I I don't think I am for this if it's, you know, Black Adam is just going to be a hero. Anti-hero, but all right, maybe. But I, for me, like, Black Adam is a, 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 a bizarro Shazam. Right. Like, I, I want to see Black Adam tear a guy in half and, and and reach through him and like i'm not i'm not interested in watching the rock kiss babies on the forehead as a a lightning lad or whatever yeah yeah i i don't want them to soften him up too much you know i think if they can present him in the way that sean's talking about where like he's uh a ruthless, you know, maybe needlessly violent at sometimes guy who, you know, um, shows up for his people like that could be interesting. Right. And could present an interesting foil to Shazam or any of the other heroes um, that they've already established. Yeah, I guess it just depends on what they're going to do with the, the film. Yeah. So the other piece of this that really surprises me is that they didn't use a Shazam film to introduce this character. So Shazam 1, I understand they wanted to go with... uh, God, what's this guy's name? Mark Strong. Uh, But the character who's playing... um, Savannah. I understand that in a sense. But I think, especially when you look at how that movie played out, Savannah was... Uh, an all right villain, but I wouldn't say he was like a strong villain. If you could have had Black Adam there, that's a movie that might even, I mean, not might, 100% does bigger numbers because The Rock is in it. And you can still play him as, yeah, a villain, but it'd be easy to make him more sympathetic. Now, I understand it's a first movie. You got to introduce Shazam. It would be tough. Get that. But then why not wait for Shazam 2 to introduce Black Adam? Yeah. Yeah, my my thought is I think for the, the first movie, it definitely – I think what you're saying makes sense where they, them wanting to set up Billy and establish the family and all that stuff. Like there just probably wasn't a lot of room to also introduce Black Adam and like 
the way he should be introduced, yeah. you know, because there's like a lot of mythology there and a lot of stuff you need to. There's not that much. I think it's enough where in a movie that like, because it's not a super long movie either, you know, like it's I, I get wanting to keep it smaller for just introducing all the all the players right like but that being said i'm sure it also was that like if they didn't have like to your point kill it's not that much they could have done it right but say that they only can afford you know a half hour of the the movie's runtime to that how much does it cost to have the rock in the movie for him to not be in it for that much too Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's probably another concern. And to Sean's point, in a Shazam 2, if you're going to make him the main player and the movie's going to focus on him and his storyline and everything, then I think that that question maybe makes more sense. Um, But I I would guess it maybe has something to do with the fact that they want The Rock to be the star, too. You know, because he's the biggest fucking, you know, actor. He's the biggest action actor in the world right now. And... A Black Adam movie starring The Rock, I think, is an easier sell than he's the villain in this other movie that's a sequel and it has, you know. So I I don't know. I, I, I agree with you in terms of why didn't they do it that way. This seems like a weird choice, but I would bet that it's more motivated by The Rock's involvement, the cost of having him be the the, the star or a star and wanting to make him the title fighter. You know, because he's he's a big fucking deal, and I think people will show up to watch him. Why not just make him Shazam then? I don't know. I don't know. Like, why waste your time with Zachary Levi when The Rock has comedy chops? I well, The Rock has specifically wanted to play Black Adam for a really long time, for like a decade. So I think it's more just his his thing, and. I get that because I I feel like he can do it. It's my biggest issue is something that you guys already talked about. But it's if you're gonna have Black Adam, have Black Adam. Don't yeah. have you know Black Shazam. Don't have yep. you know whatever. Like he in his Instagram post, he he talks a lot about how Superman was this character who meant so much to him as a child, and. He saw a lot of uh, himself in Superman, but he also had this, like, rebellious side to him. And so he felt that Black Adam fit that mold. And that's awesome. But I wouldn't categorize Black Adam as, you know, a rebellious guy. I, like, he's a, he yeah. goes a lot further than that. And so yeah. the yeah. only question that I have in my mind is, is The Rock and are the producers of this film ready to let Black Adam be, be Black Adam? And not have the star power of the rock get in the way of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I yeah, don't think I, so. I, the the line in his post that really stuck out to me as being like concerning, I guess, is he says he's a rebellious, one of a kind superhero who will always do what's right for the people, but he does it in his way. And there's some truth to that in terms of again through the lens of conduct, but I don't know. It's it's a weird one. We're gonna have to, have to see how it plays out. I think, but. It's uh, uh, I don't know. I I think that I think that they are gonna err more on the side of like sanding some of these edges off, maybe, and maybe that's just for the first movie, right? Maybe he when he's presented against Shazam, they'll ramp it up. I don't know. Who knows? But it's it's it is a weird one. Do you now? Let me present this other side. 
do you think he's pulling a Scorpion King? Go on. You're, you're, yeah, you're going to need to explain to me what you so, mean by that. <laughs> he shows up in, it was one of the Mummy movies the Mummy as Returns, the Scorpion King. Yeah. Was it, okay. Was that, was that two? He shows up as a great, great big scorpion monster with the head of the rock. And then, you know, obviously a monster villain, right? But then he gets a spin-off movie where he's the hero, the Scorpion King. Yeah. Or or Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the Scorpion King. <laughs> Dwayne the Rock, the Tooth Fairy, the Scorpion King Johnson. Yeah. And so your question so is I- what? Are they going to reverse that, you mean? Like, he'll be a villain or a good guy and turn into a villain? Or or is this, yeah, is this going to be like a Shazam spinoff where we get to see The Rock as Black Adam as the hero? And then we see him as Black Adam, the villain in Shazam 2? I mean, something that could play into that is, like, maybe the movie is about him being a hero in Kondok and then something shitty happens and it, like, you know... Like turns him towards the dark side or whatever. He the thing is that I, I'm not like I don't know everything about Shazam, but the impression that I've gotten is that the only reason why Shazam Billy Batson has the powers is because of the people who've come before him that are no longer powered, like mm-hmm. Black Adam. He was uh, the wizard, and then he died. Right. So, if that happened, and again, I could be wrong, but if that's the case, then this movie cannot be taking place now. It can't be concurrent with Shazam. They'd have to change all of the ways in which that works, and it wouldn't make sense because the first movie establishes that he needed a champion. Mm -hmm. So, Black Adam cannot be powered by the wizard in this movie, if this movie is going to be contemporary, it have to take place in the past. And maybe this movie takes place in the past, and then he would die. In the the next, he would have. Yeah, to. and then the next appearance of him would be him being brought back from the dead in the modern era somehow. Yeah, and it wouldn't be hard to do because if Doctor Savannah gets, uh, what's that bug, Mister Mind or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If yep. that bug decides, oh, we need to break out Black Adam for whatever reason or, or resurrect him, you could easily pull some crap like that off. Yeah. And then you get something yeah. closer to uh, Jeff Johns' uh, first arc. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe, like, like this movie takes place in the past or whatever. Like, he's presented as a mostly positive figure. He dies. He comes back. And then maybe he goes to Kondok and sees that it's, like, totally destroyed or the people are suffering. It's been annihilated by war and invading countries and colonizers and all that sort of thing. And he just goes off the fucking deep end and attacks America or something. I don't know. But I, there's a way to make that work. Yeah. You know? We just spitballed it. But is it going to be any good? And that's therein lies the question. No. <laughs> well, that we definitely can't even speculate about too much. Um, but hopefully it will be. I love Black Adam, and I think the DC universe, if it's going to be a universe, will need some villains. And he's, I would say, you know, at least uh, to me personally, he's an A-list villain uh, in the DC universe. Yeah. So. For sure, I think uh, you, you can't you can't just turn them, but you know it's their prerogative. Uh, clearly, sorry. 
depends on the the type of day the rock has <laughs> clearly the dc universe is doing things differently and most recently it paid off big time uh it paid off to the tune of a billion dollars in fact the Joker laughing all the way to the bank as this movie has crossed a billion dollars worldwide at the box office, which is incredible. Yeah, what well, I'm trying to find the uh, the budget for it right now. S- looks like it was fifty to seventy million, fifty-five to seventy million. Which, if you, I'm not sure if that's accounting for like marketing and stuff. Oh, so if it's you not, always double, double that. It, yeah. Right. So even so, they're looking at uh, a return of somewhere in the neighborhood of like, you know, like $800 million. Pretty good. Yeah. This movie is <laughs> – I didn't think I would be saying this uh, before it came out. But, I mean, on film, it's the success story of the year. Um, there, there's no doubt about it. I don't think that any person – no one that I spoke to, no one on this podcast – thought that this movie would make a billion dollars. No fucking way. Are you kidding me? Um, and, you know, no matter whatever anyone thinks about the movie, this is an undeniably huge accomplishment, especially for a film universe that has floundered in a lot of ways. I understand that it's not, you know, part of the universe, right? It doesn't connect to these other movies, but it's still a DC universe film with a dc character it's rated r that's a huge step forward and it gives them a lot of momentum it's interesting too because i i i think it's really funny how in the last couple years so much quote-unquote conventional wisdom about superhero films or about you know big budget action movies and stuff has been totally like proved wrong you know like people felt like oh like oh our our are men going to show up for a, a, a movie fronted by a woman? Yeah, they sure did. Our white audience is going to show up for a, a film that's cast as like predominantly black? Yeah, they did. Are people going to show up for R-rated superhero movies enough if you can't sell to kids? Yeah, this is the most profitable comic book film ever made because its budget was so low. And because it's closer to the ground, you're able to, A, have more artistic freedom, and B, make a movie that doesn't need to live and die by special effects that cost a fucking million, million, million dollars. And Jesus Christ, man, like, the the proof's in the pudding. Now, I gotta gotta say, I don't think that this is something that will ever be replicated. I don't think... They're gonna try, but I don't think they will. I don't think that there's another character in Marvel or DC that you can make a movie about that can be this low to the ground and make this much money. I I, I don't I don't think so. Not not R rated. No. I, I mean and I think that like uh, there are candidates I can think of. Like like Blade could be a cheaper movie that could make more like you know, maybe a Daredevil movie or something like that, but but they're not going to have the the mass market appeal of this. And I think so much of this movie's success has to do that it, with the fact that it was controversial. You know, so a lot, I think a lot of people who probably wouldn't go see it, you know, were like, well, like, 
I want to be a part of that conversation. I want to make my own opinion on it, you know? Like, I, I just anecdotally, I remember the week after we came back from Comic-Con when we had seen it, I was at the grocery store, and there was this, like, you know, middle-aged, probably in their 40s couple standing behind me, and, like, they're like, oh, yeah, like I, you know, they're, like, seeing the Vanity Fair cover with Joaquin. They're like, oh, I really want to go see that. I heard it's really interesting and, and dark and different, you know? And, like, I think that those kinds of people were showing up in Joe's for this movie. But I also think I, I also think the Joker has a name, yeah. as much right. as Bat as Batman does. Yeah, I no, think. and I, that's the thing is this is a character that requires no introduction either. Yeah, you've you've seen the Joker whether it was in '90s Batman, you know, or mm-hmm. The Dark Knight or whatever. Like you know the Joker if you're even casually familiar with like American culture, you know. And that's a that's a very interesting thing, right? So I would I would argue this. Batman eighty nine was sold on more than anything the the novelty of a Batman movie that was serious and, and, and dark and had two major actors in it. Um, and you know, it's Batman. Like, I think it was sold on those elements more than necessarily the Joker. I think the Dark Knight was 100, not okay, not 100%, but mostly sold on the Joker. Uh, and then I think obviously the, this movie was sold on the Joker because he's the only one in it. So there's clearly a, a Joker effect. Didn't touch Suicide Squad. <laughs> I don't I don't I think that movie got passed over. I think that probably has a lot to do with the actor that was cast and, and the style and the style and things like that. But I think there is a Joker effect. Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, and I think it's that thing that, you know, a lot of actors like to play the villain. Yeah. So when you get someone good in that role, Mark Hamill, Joaquin Phoenix, Jared Leto, uh sorry, um <laughs> Jack Nicholson, you know, they they really can live it and make it fun for for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, just not everybody else, Jared Leto. You ever see that meme where it's like, you, 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 not you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yes. That is one hundred percent how I feel about Jared Leto's joke. That's rough. Poor guy. <laughs> That's the thing, man, like if you didn't check out our review, like I was very critical of the Joker and like wouldn't say that I was a fan of it, but Joaquin's performance and it was, you know, like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a role that it makes sense that talented actors would be attracted to, you know. So my last question on this subject for you guys then is: Does Warner learn the lesson of? Hey, we need more like dark films. Do we need to go back down that road? Do they learn or do they learn the lesson of we need more Joker? Or neither? Um I I I think probably both mm-hmm. because my impression of of what is going on with DC and Warner is very much that like they're throwing anything they can at the wall and hoping it sticks. So I think the fact that this stuck, I wouldn't be surprised if they made a sequel to this movie. I know they said that they weren't going to do that, but it made a billion dollars. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Or another Joker movie just because they want to capitalize on that success, Uh, which I think is those are both wrong lessons to take away from this. 
And I also think that, to be honest, I think that trying to do more dark, villain-centric or whatever is also not the right lesson to take away from this. Because, to your point, Sean, I don't think that there's another character that exists in the perfect Venn diagram to make this work. A character who is close to the ground, deeply rooted in psychology, but doesn't have a hard backstory and is mass market aware. Like, who else fits that mold? Nobody. You know? And that's like... As much as, you know, I think we as comic book readers sometimes get sick of him, that's what makes the Joker special, right? That's why he resonates. Um, And granted, also because there's been a lot of great performances of the character. But all that being said, I would say that the takeaway here is that you should make cheap R-rated movies, you know, that they don't necessarily have to be dark or gritty or whatever. But, like, you make auteur-driven high quality 50 to 70 million dollar production budget r-rated movie and there there's a a real chance at big returns you know and like i think to a much much less successful tune but you can look at logan as another example of how it works you know that like this is clearly a model that can produce high quality films and that's the first step towards making a billion dollars on your movie, right? Is either massive IP recognition or a really, really high quality film that people want to talk about. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle um, because they're all they're already. Didn't we talk a couple of weeks ago about the fact that there are that they're talking about doing uh, a Lex Luthor right film uh, in in this style, which is so, almost certainly not going to do as well. Yeah, you know, and and I, you know, when we were just talking about Black Adam, that that made me wonder if that's, you know, maybe that's what this will be, you know, maybe maybe this Black Adam film will be a a Joker a Joker style thing, a Black Adam movie that's R rated that actually shows us the complicated character that Black Adam is and not leaning too heavily in one or the other direction could actually be a brilliant movie. Um, and and the biggest lesson that I wish they would learn from Joker isn't necessarily darkness or whatever. It's more just like letting as much as you can a vision come to light and that you don't have to have the main character of the movie be a purely heroic figure that you can make a black adam movie where he's not you know a good man or where that where that's a question where that it's a question whether or not he's a good man i think there's a lot that can be done in that space that we really have not seen in comic book movies before and you know since we're on the character i genuinely believe this is a hot take i genuinely believe there is not a character in marvel or dc more suited for a movie like that than Black Adam. More than Doctor Doom. The only other character I can think of that I think makes any sense in that conversation on that same level is maybe Magneto, considering his backstory. And you could like do like uh, like Magneto Testament, you know, like that kind of story of like him as a kid um, surviving like Auschwitz, you know. Um, hey man, I think any anybody whose movie is based around them surviving Auschwitz is the hero of the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a hero. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah, there's there's probably a lot of um 
touchy, touchy uh, feelings around uh, uh, a mutant surviving Auschwitz. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't go with that one. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think. I think when we read Magneto Testament uh, for the book club next year, I think you guys will get what I mean by that I in terms it. of like. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, because not not that he would be like complicated, right, or whatever. But like, if you are aware of the character through the history of X Men movies, you know of him as kind of an extremist and where that comes from. And having a movie that contextualizes that, I think, could probably uh, work to similar effect. It's possible. Uh, well, at any rate, congratulations, of course, to the team behind Joker for the massive success. And uh, I'm wondering how much money they're going to have to roll out to uh, get that sequel popping. But... Well, I know I know Joaquin Phoenix has already said he would do it, so he would do it. He would, yeah. Oh, it's gonna fucking happen. Then forget but it. But he's got conditions and things. It's it's not it's not as yeah. clear cut as that. So it's no. it's gonna be something that we have to see about. Uh, so let's talk about Black Mask, not the villain. Uh, we're done with DC for today. We're talking about <laughs> the comic book company that sometimes maybe publishes comics. Yikes. They've had some trouble recently. Now, we don't always talk about rumors on this podcast, uh, especially if there's not a ton to go on. But uh, this one is kind of, I would say at this point, almost confirmed that Black Mask has had some trouble paying their employees lately, particularly yeah. their freelance creators. And so uh, recently, they haven't been publishing comics at all uh they've they've been in a weird spot uh they haven't and they haven't really made any announcements or or anything like that uh they actually didn't even have anything going at nycc so that's very strange uh or san diego yeah now uh the website wmq comics actually uh got on the case and uh they decided to dan grote from that website decided to investigate the situation and try to find out exactly what's going on. So he made the rounds, you know, tried to reach out to different people behind the scenes over there and couldn't really get a reaction. Uh, Pat Shand, who uh, worked on Snap Flash Hustle, uh, is still waiting for the release of the final issue of that series. Um, And not for it to be done, because it's been done. They're actually just waiting for it to be put out. Uh, He said, we've been finished for almost a year at this point, so we're very eager to get that story out there. We're just waiting on Black Mask to announce how we're doing it. So, uh, previews said that that trade was supposed to be released on November 27th, but you can't release a trade for a book that's not even finished, right? Or not out and finished. Uh, So, it's a very, very weird situation over there, and it has been for some time. Uh, however, um, we did learn just this Tuesday that, um, they are getting a a new graphic novel, uh, called Faithless, and that's going to be coming out in January. So that's the first announcement of a new Black Mass title in quite some time. Uh, they've, they've got solicitations out for January, so they are back, apparently, and they're going to be saying more on Monday. And the reason why this is important to talk about is 
obviously for for the sake of Black Mask, you want to see them doing well. But I think in a more general sense, you have creators on the hook, right, who need their books to be published and need that that opportunity to make money. I don't know if they get the money up front to do these books. I don't know what the contracts look like. I know that, you know, at other companies like Marvel and DC, you're never going to have to worry about seeing your cash. At least I've never really heard of that. Um, you're probably going to get paid and you're probably going to get paid close to one time. I, my connections on the inside have sort of, not necessarily Marvel and DC, but uh, with a company that has has a, a profit, you know, in uh, is within standing in that stockpile. The, the paychecks are, you know, they can be few and far between. So... And and maybe maybe that's changed with Marvel and DC because they've got Fortune 500 backing, uh, but yeah, I'm inclined to believe that Marvel and DC uh, are paying people on time. But I, but with with these smaller companies, it's it's very very important for everybody to see those checks and to see their books out in the world. It's you know someone like Pat Shand. He needs the buzz of a Snap Flash mm. Hustle, Hustle yeah. finale and the graphic novel to come out for people to be talking about it. And that's just not happening. And so it's unfortunate for Black Mass to be having these issues, but you got to pay your people. Yeah. And I mean, you, you got to think that, like, with somebody like, you know, Pat at that level, right? Like, if this book was done a year ago, like he said in the article uh, or in the interview, um, that's work that was put in a year ago that conceivably is still not seen any money for, you know? So it's like, that's time that he could have been doing contract work for Marvel or DC or whoever else, you know, and like making sure that there's money in his pocket. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it's hugely problematic. And, um, you know, I don't want to like, tear black mask down because like granted they have a stay of statements apparently coming on monday there's probably missing context to this story like i get it it's tough to run a small publisher and etch out a niche for yourself in this already niche market like that's fair but that being said like you can't make financial promises to people and not deliver and not communicate with them you know it would be one thing if they were having trouble and they were communicating with you know, Pat and the team and being like, hey, this is where we're at. We're trying to get this worked out. We're trying to get more funding, whatever, whatever the issue is. But for to just leave these people totally in the dark and not respond to their messages and not tell them what's going on is like, that's just a shitty business practice. And I get it. Like, if your business is on fire and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, like, it's probably coming from a place of anxiety and not wanting to burn those bridges and let those people down. And like, I'm sure they're working behind the scenes to make this shit happen. I'm sure they're not just taking the money and trying to run, you know, nobody gets in comics to fucking make money, you know? So like, I, I, I'm sure that this is not coming from a bad place. It's coming from a, the business is struggling place and that it's a tough fucking market, man. Um, so I hope that the context that comes out on Monday explains things, that there's an apology to these people, that, you know, that they're writing the ship. Um, but you never know, you know, and I, I don't want to see Black Mask go away because I think they're an important voice right now. You know, I think they're putting out good work. They're working with good people and, you know, they've helped 
um, some people star who are good rise. So I want to see them come out of this successfully and continue to produce high quality content. Uh, but to your point, like, you know, there's nothing more selfish than running your business at the expense of people who are making it happen. In in the case of a comic book publisher, that's creators, you know, not to to say, you know, to speak ill of the editors and all the other people behind the scenes that make that shit happen. But, you know, like at the end of the day, the product is the book and like you got to, you know, these people got to see their money. Kale, what's your word on this? Yeah, it's tough, um, you know, especially without any word from Black Mask. I mean, there's not a ton to be said. Um, uh, I know Mags Visaggio's uh, Kim and Kim book is coming out with its third trade, mm. I think this week. Um, and she she announced that this week and said that um, it's very similar to um, Snap Flash Hustle. Um she didn't know what was going to happen and um I, I i i'm not sure if you know it was a similar situation in that the last issue hasn't come out yet or if, if they were just waiting on the trade but even even if i you know mags i think is a, another factor in this conversation because i feel like her name has risen recently mm-hmm. and i feel i feel like some of that was because of Black Mask, so I, I I wonder, I wonder if there's some of that that like maybe they shot a little too high with some of like the creator contracts. That's mm. you know I think it's just one of those things that like what what can what can they do to avoid this in in the future? You know, is it stick with lower level creators, but then the money there isn't going to come in because there's not the name draw yeah it's a complicated situation for them and i i do agree with you that um you know this is a story that's going to warrant a follow-up once they say their piece black mask but um you know it, it does present a challenge it does present a challenge but i think black mask has made their bones on just putting out you know, quality stuff, not necessarily worrying as much about the names, you know, uh, even mags, like she's on the rise now, I would say over the last year, but she's been working with them for a little while. Right. Pat Shand is, yeah, absolutely. is on the come up. Um, snap flash is probably his biggest thing to date. Uh, so they've, they've been sort of helping to build these names and the industry mm-hmm. needs mm-hmm. a black mask. And so this is, this story is, you know, we talked about them not paying people and how that's unfortunate and kind of like crap on their part. But this is not about just just talking shit about Black Mask. This is about oh, like a wider problem in the industry where Black Mask needs to exist because without Black Mask, these people can't build their names up to then work at Image, to then maybe work at Marvel or DC or whatever their plans are going forward. We need these these companies. And it sucks when they're in a position where they can't pay people or release books because of cash flow issues. And I don't know what their books look like or who the fault lies with. And it could be a million different things. The Ultimately, the issue is hopefully this is something that they've got figured out to where this doesn't happen anymore. And other comic mm-hmm. book companies that are also having these issues because we know about them uh, need to also figure their stuff out too. Mm. 
Well, and, and one, one thing that I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about is like there are, there are companies who, who do crowdfund. And I have, uh, I have a, a, a colleague who, who works at one of these companies who tabled at Thought Bubble last weekend and, and we get to talk with her a little bit. And, um, that part of the, of the business is struggling real hard. Um, the crowdfunding, I, I don't know, I guess company, but you know, if, if uh, I, I guess my point is, you know, uh, it's, it's a tough time for everybody. You know, we just saw, we just saw Shelly Bonds thing shut down too. Yeah. Black, black, uh, crown. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, the reality of the situation is, and like Sean, I think you're the one who's been the most vocal about this problem on this show, whereas that whenever one of these pop-up publishers comes up, you know, we get excited about it, uh, but they can all survive. The table is only so big and, you know, they're- Marvel and DC are hogging all the space. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, and, and uh, you know, and again, I think to borrow a, a point that Sean's made on this show often, like that, that's the truth. But that's also not, like, their fault, you know? Like, the consumers want those books. That's why they're the top, you know? And, like, if if we want to see, you know, um, books like this succeed, like, you, you got to go buy them, you know? And I think that there are, there's a lot of um, – there's a lot of people who want to see these kinds of books and these kinds of imprints succeed. And I think there are a lot of people that just don't care, you know? And uh, and that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And and the reality is that for every you know uh, image or you know like uh, hopefully Black Mask, right? There's going to be a lot that don't make it, that don't get that market share, that don't find that audience. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of companies are going to have to start looking at themselves a little more closely we've seen a lot of a lot of them pop up over the last few years and uh personally i don't believe it's sustainable but we'll see and it's never fun to have to report on on uh these kinds of issues you know we want everybody to make money and get paid and have a blast but reality yeah is i mean especially it. especially when it's a company that we're fans of you know like i i've liked a lot of what black mask has put out and i would hate to see them go away yeah so, on a more positive note, The Unsound, which is a Boom comic, has been picked up by Netflix in what apparently was a bidding war for The Unsound. Mm. So, The Unsound is a graphic novel by Cullen Bunn and Jack T. Cole, which was published by Boom Studios, and uh, Netflix picked it up to make a feature film which is really, really cool for them. Uh, Netflix has been ramping up their feature film production over the last couple of years to compete with everyone who's coming for them. Fucking everyone, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, comics have definitely become a a resource for uh, some of these companies, and Netflix has a very good understanding of how good comic books can be for them. Uh, You look at what success they found with uh, the Marvel stuff, and so uh, now they're teaming up with Boom to make this movie. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a horror movie, of course. Cullen Bunn, what else does he do? Um, 
And so the unsound is actually a very interesting concept. Deadline says the following about it. In the unsound, a psychiatrist returns to the insane asylum where her mother once worked and is now a patient, hoping to quell a bloody wave of horror that's been unleashed. As she descends down the rabbit hole and discovers hard truths about her own past, she comes to understand the hospital is hiding secrets of its own, and perhaps she and her mother have more in common than she realized. So that sounds pretty cool. The other, yeah, that does sound cool. The other cool part is that this movie is actually being directed by David F. Sandberg, who, if his name sounds familiar to you, it's because he directed Shazam. Okay. Yeah, yeah and okay. he also he uh he cut his teeth as a horror director and was like notable for making like a bunch of like n- like no budget movies um that were like really popular or successful so this is like kind of his return to horror uh which is cool yeah uh i'm into this i really love horror you know we've talked about that more than enough and especially you know good horror comics so whenever an announcement like this gets made of a comic book being adapted into a movie or whatever uh, it's an opportunity for me to be informed about something that I didn't know about. Somehow, you know, I read comics every single week, and there are these books that get adapted. Then I'm like, where? What is this? You know, we we do these news stories like every couple <laughs> yeah. of weeks. And it's like, what? This book has been out, and somehow I don't know what it is. Uh, Especially when it's written by Cullen Bunn, who's someone that like. We're we're obviously familiar with like Marco's a huge fan. Like I know you've liked a bunch of his stuff. So it's like how how has this not been on the radar? And then all of a sudden there's like a bidding war over it. You know, it's like what the fuck? Yeah, it's 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 absolutely <laughs> wild. So uh, just you know, congratulations, Cullen Bunn has had a ton of success recently, and so congrats to him and Boom uh, and Netflix. I guess hopefully this does well because we need these we need these kinds of projects to do well. We need more success for non-Marvel or DC and non-image stories being adapted because that's what's going to keep this happening. You know, you look at how successful, like, The Boys was, and I understand that that's a little bit of of a different situation, but, like, we need all these projects to succeed. So hopefully people uh, do tune in. The the one thing I thought was interesting in the the Deadline article – they call out this. This is the first feature Boom Studios has uh, is going to be taken to market since the Disney Fox merger, and that their their deal is still at Fox Disney. So it's interesting that this is like Netflix bid on it as like a way to you know stave off. I, you like you said their competitors, one of which is Disney, um, but this is also like Disney has their hands in this pie. It's wow. weird. I mean, between Disney and Fox, I, you know, and we and we've talked that to death, but I, I can't imagine they don't have their hands in a lot of pies. Right, exactly. W- one of the things I thought was interesting, though, it says Boom has the largest library of comic book IP outside of Marvel and DC, and I'm like, I don't know that that's true. Uh, I wonder if it's licensed. Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me on any level, actually, because really, yeah, no, absolutely not, because they have. The, the Buffy stuff. They have mm. the Ninja Turtles stuff. Or, I'm not, not Ninja Turtles. Power Rangers. Power um, Rangers. They have, uh, what's this? Uh, 
is it Sonic that they have or or no, that's no, Dark Horse now. Yeah. Well, but no, but, that's IDW. Oh no, yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry, I, well, I was reading this as when they say the largest library of comic book IP. I was thinking that they mean like original IP, not licensed stuff. Like Boom, because it, it's saying Boom has the largest library of comic book IP outside of Marvel and DC. And it's just like, wouldn't do, Image, doesn't Image have more IP under their belt than Boom? They've been around longer and they produce like a new series, every, like 10 of them every year. That seems weird to me. I don't know. Maybe it's like because of the way that Image's licensing is that they don't necessarily like own stake in the books in the way that Boom does. I don't know. Well, they're they're not images, are they? Necessarily, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, because uh, it's like like when you watch uh, like The Walking Dead, right? Like, there's no image logo that comes up. Hmm. Like, yeah, image couldn't just say, "Hey, we're gonna make a Walking Dead spinoff written by Kale Ward." Like, they they can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. But if they wanted to, <laughs> listen, I'm. I'm free. Hey, man, as, you know, I, me and Robert have a relationship now, so I'll get you in touch. I mean, yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, one thing I, I, I read earlier this week is that um, uh, Netflix and Nickelodeon have started, have made a deal to start making original content. Yeah. Um, and, and deals and stuff. And so that, that made me wonder it, how much of like Boom's IP is like, Nickelodeon's licenses. I don't and, know that they have any from them. I know they have a bunch of Cartoon Network stuff. Like they have Adventure Time and Steven Universe. I don't know if they do any. Oh, the Rocco book is boom, isn't it? I, I think so. Yeah. And um, Power Rangers is uh, isn't it, is is on Nickelodeon. I think it's you know I think it is licensed through both of them. But sure. Um. Because the only other Nickelodeon-based property I can think of that has a comic right now is Invader Zim, and that's at Oni. Hmm. Just a yeah, just a yeah thought. Not to reduce that by any means, especially no, no, no. in a in a comparison that apparently doesn't work. But that, that uh, just made me think of all that. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, it's the the IP wars continue to get more and more interesting. Absolutely. Mm. All right, so let's jump into our reviews. Here for three different books. We're talking Event Leviathan number six, Fallen Angels number one, and X-Men number two. So we're gonna start with Event Leviathan number six, and you guys have heard us talk about this book now for you know six months, and you've heard us talk about Fred, Hey, you know what? No. We're mad at you, audience. How do, <laughs> you've listened to us talk about this and not not once have you said, oh, hey, you guys don't have to do that anymore. We have busted <laughs> our asses for six months, and not one of you has come to our aid. What the hell? I don't know why you're yelling at the audience. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I love he, he's, he's putting the responsibility on them. You could have released us from this. Yes, you do. It's very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, you guys have heard us talk about, you know... In any the... event, Leviathan. Sorry, I had to. Wow, that mm. was rough. Uh, in any event, you guys have heard us talking about some of the struggles that we've had reading this and, you know, the, where the quality has been. And, you know, I gotta say, um, you know, all respect to the creators involved, that 
this issue was just really not what I was hoping it to be at, at like on any level. Yeah, it felt really and I, like again, I I try not to use like charged words like this, but it felt lazy. Jesus. You know, like it, <laughs> I just like it's another issue of characters recapping events that would have been nice to have seen and it like I got to say it feels like this whole thing was for nothing. Yeah. I mean, the reveal of Leviathan is just, who cares? It's, it's, it's Mark Shaw. Like, how many, raise your hand if you knew who Mark Shaw was before you read this comic book. Like, come on. Six issues to like, wait for a review or for a reveal of someone that no one knows? That's not a reveal. And, and it was done with, like, no fanfare either. It was just like, oh, it's issue six. We figured it out. Here's here here's the whole thing. It's like, okay. Like, I, I just feel like that takes all the piss out of it, you know? Like, when everything is a recap, you already know that things worked out. You know how things played out, right? Like, you know, oh, okay, it worked out. Everybody's fine. We figured it out. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I understand, like, apparently now – you know, with this issue, we know that th- that this event was not meant to be the end of Leviathan. It was meant to establish who it is. But now we also know that there are higher ups and there are people pulling the strings behind the scenes of Mark sh- of, of of Mark, and 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 this is not over. So okay, fine. We do I who cares? Get, I didn't get any of that. What's that? I said we do. I don't. I didn't get any. Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. Uh, right at the end. Yeah, there's that that person that that he's talking to, who's kind of like, we all we still believe in you. You got us this far. Like we think there are interesting implications now that people know, and you know, like we're not. This isn't over. It's just the beginning, kind of thing, you know. And okay, huh. I uh, I thought I thought that was just a uh, a subordinate or what? Oh, that's guardian. Yeah, I also read it as not necessarily a subordinate, but like just another member of the team or whatever. But like, yeah. uh, I, either way, like yeah. six six issues for this to be the setup of a villain I'm no longer interested in, and being like, all right, go read Action Comics. I'm like, no, no thanks. Like, this did not sell me on this at all. It was really like by the end of it, a chore. Why would you? Why would you use six issues of an event? Just to reveal the identity of a villain who's going to continue to appear when the villain's identity, like his name, is actually a lesser name than every single other character who appears in this comic book. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's not compelling. You could have. He's got a, he's, he's got a, a lesser name than Bullock. What? Yeah. Like if if it if the reveal had been that this was like it was actually Lois Lane's dad or you know like that would have had heat because it's like oh shit Superman's father-in-law is his new number one villain like yeah that has interesting story implications this doesn't like at all <laughs> yeah just just really ridiculous and you know we I don't even want to get into like the dialogue we've talked about the dialogue and how it's it's you know it's weak and. <laughs> Can I 
can I do one? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to do one. <laughs> yes. There's, do one. there's a point in here where I th- it has to be Constantine. He's the only, I don't know, trench-coated guy without a hat that I couldn't couldn't quite place. Uh, he says something to the effect of, uh, oh, let me try and find it. Shit. He says something like, um, oh, I want to know all the answers, blah, blah, blah. And Damien's like, why? You didn't do anything. And I was like, that's this whole book. Oh, yeah, this- yeah. That was the thing. He's like, oh, this is going to be in the paper. I don't want my name anywhere near this. And the, the cop guy uh, is like, well, you didn't do anything, so it's fine. And it's just like, yeah, no one that's did. That's right. For no the, one yeah, did for- anything. Yep, and like the- Su- <laughs> Superman explains like, oh, yeah, we escaped because Plastic Man wasn't unconscious and he – fucking moved his body and pulled his it's like what like what do you even (sighs) like stop like it's one of those things man where like if you've taken any creative writing 101 what is the first fucking rule of storytelling show don't tell and this whole book is just people standing around recounting things that would have maybe been interesting to watch they wouldn't have been and that's the thing too like it wouldn't have even been any better here, right? <laughs> just... There just haven't been any ideas floated within this six-issue run that have been interesting outside of the the very first issue for me and the Leviathan Rising special. Like, it's a bummer mm-hmm. when everything that came before the event was more interesting than the actual event. The idea of the event is more interesting than the act. Yeah, the pitch is cool, but that's where it ends because there's like – it feels like Bendis had the idea of I'm going to introduce this villain who establishes this new organization from all of these other, you know, top tier minds and everything and, you know, this this grander design that they want to get Superman in on and blah, 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 blah. And all of the greatest detectives at DC need to get together and solve the mystery and then it goes nowhere. Like it's all sizzle, no steak. But if Leviathan's plan was to recruit Superman, then he should have known he failed from from the jump. If it was as simple as just talking to Superman and being like, hey, dude, join the club, like you could have done that ages ago. You didn't need to go through all this. And by the way, he's not going to say yes. Like Leviathan came across as being so smart. He had all these ways of getting around Superman and not having to address him and stuff. He had ways of, even when Superman was in front of him, of getting away from him. And his big plan, when it comes down to it, is just to say, let's team up. And you thought that was going to work? Especially after you just killed his his fucking father-in-law. It's like, I know you didn't get along very well. It's like, yeah, but his wife's still going to be pretty upset. And like, also, Superman like, doesn't abide by murder in general. This is, this, like, right, that's not, like, that doesn't make any sense. No, it, it doesn't. It's, 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 it's half-baked. It's totally half-baked, man. You know, like, it, it, it's all, it's much to do about literally nothing. Because the end result of this entire six-issue journey is, remember that really cool character that they introduced in in, event, in Rising, Leviathan? Cool. Here's who he is. Well, and what's worse is, I mean, ostensibly, the fallout of this here in a month or two is going to be, and has been advertised since the summer, is that Superman is going to reveal his identity 
and it's going to be done by Bendis. Yeah. And it's just like, that's it? Those are your big Superman ideas is to have a team a team up that doesn't work and reveal Superman's identity? Like, like And like, why? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I I got nothing know, else. I I I I'm gonna say it. Like between this and Legion this this week or last week, whenever it came out, I'm done. I am I am utterly finished with Bendis. Like I, if he's Comics 101, then I I must be in the advanced doctorate class because I I I can't anymore. Like there's nothing here. Lead, uh, the Legion of Superheroes was Superboy and a bunch of other thought bubbles. And everybody talking in the same voice instead. <laughs> well, and, and and like, that one wasn't even necessarily that bad, but nothing happened. Yeah, but like, not that bad shouldn't be the basis by which you judge yeah, yeah. the work yeah, of someone right. who's supposed to be one of the best in the industry, right? That's who he's supposed to be. And it's just like, shit, man, like, I don't remember – no, no, you know, I was going to say I don't remember the last time I read a Bendis book that made me feel something. I do. It was The Death of Spider-Man, and that was like seven years ago. Yeah, I'm I'm finished with Bendis. Like I, I will be fine to never read another Bendis book for the rest of the time that I am reading comic books. Uh, you know, we've talked about Bendis a lot, but even – you know, believe. I don't feel that this was close to his best work. Um, I think this was the worst one of the run for sure. The 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 page of where the heroes confront Leviathan is. It, it looks. This doesn't even look like believe. This actually looks like Romita. The 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 character designs themselves. Uh, you look at Batman and you look at Superman; they don't look like this. Just doesn't look like what Malieve does. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. I I didn't know. I I did notice that something looked off, but yeah, you're right. They look they look like Ramita. It's that first scene for me that stuck out. It's the first scene where I think where they start doing sign language or where they kneel down to touch Manhunter's blade or whatever, and like Batman and and Damien's hands are like so square, like they look so like blocky or weird i don't know yeah and it's not good then, it's not fucking good man and i i like the art in a few of these issues quite a bit but like this one was not not anything special even so many of the faces like malieve's style is really it's not it's not like built around big action it's it's really just it's really built around strong faces and character designs and mood that he crafts through colors and things of that nature and i felt like all the elements of what make him great were off here and i think malieve is is an artist who needs more time uh i I do believe that um but i also don't know how inspired he was by this you know there's just not a lot to work with Honestly, yeah. I mean, how, how many times can you draw the same set of characters sitting around talking and not like, and like have it still be creative? And 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 again, like Bendis will have an idea. Like I actually enjoyed the sign language idea. I thought it was a yeah, was a, a, a kind of an interesting gimmick. But 
you know, it's 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 one moment surrounded by generic stuff otherwise and you know I don't know. You you can't sell me ever again on a on a Bendis event. If this yeah. is if this is his first outing at DC event wise, why would I why would I pick up another one? I, I don't know. Like I don't have any problem with Bendis. I actually love Bendis and I will never feel differently. But it's getting to feel like the wells kind of drying up maybe. I don't know. Yeah, dude, I, that's where I'm at. Cause like I, when he first went over to DC and Phil was so negative on him, like you know we were trying to defend the guy, and it's like he's done a lot of comics I really liked. You know, like Ultimate Spider-Man was a huge part of getting me back into comics. There was a point where I thought of him as my one of my favorite writers. You know, like yeah. but that was yeah. a long time ago now, and like I'm with you, man. It feels like the his best work is far behind him at this point and that's not to say that he'll never do something good again but like i i remember having that attitude of like well maybe he was just out of ideas at marvel now that he has a new toy box like maybe that he can get into some good work again i just don't i don't think he has it in him i really don't and i don't mean that to be shitty or throw shade or anything but it's just like this is now what the second big thing we've read from him on the show and I thought they were both really bad like there's maybe one good issue between or for each series but like I'm not gonna read six issues with the expectation that one of them is maybe kind of okay yeah fuck it man there's there's not enough time in the day yeah yeah I I don't, I don't have any more things to say about this issue I think I think nope. that Heroes in Crisis was better than this I do yep. too because at least yep. it made me feel something. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like this was so it was so nothing. You know, it was like it was like un, the unseasoned tofu of of comics of like cool. I guess that was a calorie. Let's talk about Fallen Angels number 1. Uh ah cool. A book with some substance. So this is a this is the book that I've been looking forward to the most of all of the uh Dawn of X titles because I really, really, really love Brian Edward Hill as a writer. And so this is his first at bat um, with the Dawn of X stuff along with uh, Simon Kudransky on art and Frank Diamarda on colors with uh, Joe Sabino on letters and of course Tom Muller on designs. Uh, this issue caught so much flack this week. Wow. So many people were angry about this issue. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Sean. Uh, as this being the book that you were the most excited for, like, and, and you being a huge fan of Hill, I, I want to hear what your take is on it before we get into the rest of it. Like, what what was your initial reaction to it? Did, did it connect with you? Of course. I loved it. Uh, this book is very moody. Uh, it's It's very, you know, sort of somber. And I love that. That's that's one of the things I love most about what Hill does. And books that have that tone, I will always uh, run to very quickly. I love the choice of, of cast very, very mm-hmm. much. Um, and and, and I, I like the premise. You know, I don't know exactly what's going on, but um, I don't need to. I know that I saw enough here that I want to see more. What was the the fit? What was everybody so upset about? So, 
uh, one of the things that a lot of people were upset about is that they they this so Quinan is a character that a lot of people all of a sudden have this deep love for right <laughs> and feel needs to be protected at all costs and so people were very very concerned about the way that Brian would portray her and they didn't necessarily love the fact that he's portraying her as someone who immediately needs to go catch bodies you know um they they didn't they didn't care so much for that and then the other problem was X23 is uh, she makes a statement as to why she wants to to be involved in this hit squad and her reasoning is that she needs to get out of uh, Wolverine's shadow. And a lot of people were very upset about that because of the fact that for the last few years, she was Wolverine. So mm-hmm. uh, that really bothered people. Um, people were bothered by the fact that this book apparently is just another X-Force and that it doesn't do anything markedly different from what you would expect from an X-Force title. I disagree with every single one of those points. But People are entitled to feel how they feel. How did you guys feel about it? Uh, so I I think I was cooler on it than you were, but I still liked it. Um, I think that this was the, the – aside from X-Force, this is the book that felt the most different in tone. It's darker. It's moodier. I like that. It sets it apart from the rest of the pack. That's a good thing. Um, I did think it was very confusing. Like, I had to kind of, like, reread it just to, like, make sure I was following a lot of it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if that if I get understanding as the story develops. Um, but for a, a first issue that the goal is to draw me in, um, not to say that it wasn't effective because I'm interested in the mystery, but I, I don't know that I could succinctly tell you what happened or, or what's going on or or what the stakes really are, and that's like a little bit, um, not problematic, but I don't, I don't think that's the best thing for a first issue. I feel like it was completely clear. What were you confused about? Ah, uh, I guess I just don't totally understand what the, like what the stakes are with this division, and like how that connects to the the machine drug thing, and it just felt like there was a lot of pieces on the table, and I'm not quite sure what they all have to do with each other. You know? Well, I don't know. I don't. I I had I had trouble following it. Okay. Well, what about you, Kale? Hmm. Uh, I I didn't. I don't feel like I had trouble following it necessarily. For me, of the the titles we've read, I, I kind of felt like this one was the weakest. Mm. Um, it just didn't. It, this felt like an old, an older style of X Men book to me. I guess just just in the fact that it's a book about an X-Men character who I don't really know much about and and you know that includes the the rest of the the cast going to do a, a mission that doesn't necessarily feel like it's immediately related so you know and and for me uh Kudransky's art didn't didn't quite hit the hit the mark for me 
Um, so, so overall, it just I wasn't crazy about it. I will say uh, for the art, there was some creative paneling, which was cool. Um, and I, I definitely appreciated that. I'm always a fan of anybody who tries to kind of bring more personality to the margins of the book. And I thought that was effective for sure. So I I, I read criticism very similar to what you put out there, Kale. Uh, someone said this feels like an X book from 2008. And, That's exactly where I would have put it. Yeah. And that is true. And I happen to like the X-Books they were putting out in 2008. So there you go. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So uh, I'll, I will just, you know, we should talk about what actually happens. Um, so there's this new designer drug that is, you know, machine-based uh, that people are taking. And it's giving them these these big highs, but it's also this threat it could possibly kill them and it makes them you know want to kill others and so uh quanon psylocke uh decides or not decides she receives a vision that is basically telling her you got to deal with this and so she decides she's gonna deal with it um i love the fact that psylocke x23 and cable are the specific characters who are going on this journey Although it seems like there will be more, but I think these three are perfectly chosen because each one of them would absolutely feel awkward in a situation like Krakoa because mm. Krakoa is, you know, heaven for mutants. It's it's a perfect place. You can't die. Everything's great. Um, but none of these characters are necessarily ready to be there yet. Yeah, and, and none of them, like, even the characters where you could maybe draw parallels to, like, like Wolverine, right? You could maybe make that same argument, but he's so much more involved in the machinations of Krakoa. Like, he's not just sitting around in paradise every day, you know? Like, he also has a specific relationship to the cause of mutantdom that none of these characters necessarily have. Um, Psylocke mm. hasn't even been a, a character, you know, the Quanon variant for a very very long time she has no relationship to any of this uh K this cable's not even from this timeline you know he's from way in the future these characters don't exist where he's from uh the closest you could get is x23 but the way her life has been i can't imagine she's had a happy moment ever so for me these three characters together i totally love that i love the fact and this is something that you know, Jonathan Hickman and crew really did a great job. These books came out in order in relationship to each other. So this book addresses the fact that Professor Xavier is actually dead because here Magneto's in charge. And I love Magneto in charge. I that I think was the best scene in the book. I really, really liked that interaction between the two of them and like how he kind of plays that whole situation where he's like, oh, like, I'm so – he's like, I'm so overwhelmed with grief that, like, I forget conversations, yeah. you know, and, like, sends her off to, like, look, if you got to do this, go do this. But, like, I'm not putting my name on it, right? Like, you can go, but you can't go. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also loved Sinister here. 
and this was actually probably my favorite sinister that we've seen so far because he's not over the top. He's actually saying stuff, uh, and he still has that sass arrogance, but it's more whimsy. grounded, which I really uh, appreciated. Um, and again, these are violent characters, and I liked seeing a Psylocke on edge. Uh, the last time I've seen Psylocke with this much bite was when, well, you know, again, I understand these aren't the same characters, you know, we, we get it, but uh, I remember in Rick Remender's run, Psylocke, Betsy Braddock was, uh, was on fire, and that was really cool. And so getting to see uh, Psylocke here, Quanan, in this dark place... Uh, she's 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 fantastic in that in that regard. So I'm I'm all in. I'm sold because there's also elements that are trying to connect me with Quanon, a character that I don't know, and none of us really know. There's a lot of people on Twitter acting like this is a character that they've been in love with for their whole life, and it's like uh, how? I don't really know how that's possible. <laughs> she barely existed, so. Yeah, like I'm learning of her now and I'm falling in love with one issue. To me, that's credit to the writer. Yeah, I agree. Um The uh did you see that Hill responded to the X twenty three of it all? Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Uh where he was kind of like, Yeah, it was a bad line. Like what what do you take of what do you, what do you make of that? Because you said you don't have a problem with that characterization of, of Laura. It it makes sense because when Wolverine died, she put on his costume to honor the legacy, and so she became Wolverine. Uh, for me, I didn't like that. And the only reason that I didn't like it is because I want X-23 to exist separate from Wolverine. And so what Hill was saying through that line is literally that. She needs to have her own identity. She needs to be her own character. You can't just put her in a different costume and, you know, make her fall in line with what Wolverine was doing uh, when he was still alive. I want her to have her own identity. They took her out completely out of her element. They gave her a supporting cast that I enjoyed, but it really, really took the bite out of Laura. And I want that bite back. And that's what Hill's doing here. I also wonder if, if the way some of this and and using Laura as a specific example, if some of that regression, quote unquote, would is related to uh, like the 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 problem with Cyclops we've been having, or or that we've sort of been looking at, you know, we we've theorized that maybe it's someone else's different version of Cyclops, so maybe this isn't our Laura either. There's also an argument to be made that when Logan died and she took up his mantle that, you know, like you said, she was doing that to honor him. He's in a lot of ways like a parental figure to her and all those things like that doesn't mean that she has etched out an identity for herself, you know, like she just took up his and like even if that was good and meaningful, like. Like, I don't know, I, 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 I think I'm with you on that, Sean, where I think that there's a way for that to be a line that makes sense but also doesn't undo the development she went through through that journey because guess what? He came back. And similar to what we've talked about, about how I think that 
because the mutants can die and be brought back and, and die and live again, that actually makes their deaths more meaningful because his return is like, okay, so who am I now that he's back and I'm not Wolverine anymore? Who am I? You know? Yeah. Well, my question is, what is this character development that everyone keeps talking about? I, I've read a lot about the regression of her uh, here, but what was the what was the character development that took place during Tom Taylor's run that was so big that it's a far cry from this character, other than the fact that she was wearing a different costume and had children around her? Yeah, I don't know. I can't say because I didn't read yeah, any of that yeah. stuff. So I, you it's know. more of a que- it's it's more of a rhetorical question at this point because I know neither yeah. of you guys were really on that, but like I was, and I don't know what people are talking about. Like I genuinely right. don't. Other than what I already said, what was different about the character that this doesn't make sense? That it's undoing I, years of work. It's it's not the case. The way I interpreted that. It was that people are saying, like, well, she wasn't living in his shadow, and she didn't feel like she was, and now all of a sudden she He does, was dead. Right? And it's like, oh. Right. Yeah, and that's that was my thing, is like, well, when he's dead versus alive, that's a very different thing. Like, living in honor of somebody and all those things when they're dead is like, that's like closure, and like, you know what I mean? Like, this is, people, people, people have, like, short memories when it comes to certain characters. So how did Winter Soldier feel when he was wearing Captain America's costume? It was the same thing. He was right. living in Cap's shadow, and then he took the costume off because it never felt right, and he went back to doing his, his work in the shadows. This, it's the same exact thing. Like, it feels to me like the difference between, like, say, okay, like, and this is, like, a a weird, abstract, real-world example, but say that, like, you're a kid who grew up in, like, a rural place, your family has a farm or whatever, they want you to take it over, and you're like, no, I've got to go strike out on my own and be my own person, and then, you know, your your parents die or whatever, and you're like, I got to go back and take it up, you know, like, that is a different, that has different weight when that person's dead. You know, like you're honoring them. Now he's back. All right, cool. Like I've got to figure out who I am now outside of them. You know, like I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that feels like a weird criticism to me. Yeah, but but you know, everyone everyone is entitled to feel how they feel. Uh, I yeah, do. Th- for sure. I think that this book will catch people. Uh, Brian, if you've not for whatever reason read his stuff in the past. He is an extremely capable writer, and uh, I think he will win you over if he hasn't already. Um, just give give the book a shot. I'm I'm definitely not out on it. Like I want to see where it goes. I want to give him a couple issues and see how it comes together. Like you know, I uh, I'm I'm down to ride the ride a little bit longer for sure. Even though this first issue didn't necessarily like knock my socks off. Where do you land there, Kale? Uh. If it comes between this and like the others, I think this this one would be the first to go for me. Okay. Um, I like I like Brian and I like I like his work, uh, but his there are other examples of his work that I would pick up before I would for this one. So that's fair. Uh, so let's move on to X Men number two. So uh, this was interesting (laughs) like yeah right like fuck (laughs) x-men number two uh really really 
took things in a different direction than I was necessarily expecting. And I have a lot of things to say. Um, So this is Jonathan Hickman, uh, Lanil Yu, Jerry Anglan, Sonny Go, Clayton Cowles, and Tom Muller. Um, And this is basically Cyclops and his children, uh, Rachel and Cable, taking a quick trip. (laughs) <laughs> uh, to uh, <laughs> Araka or Ar- Arakoa? Arako. Arako. There you go. Thank Arako. You. Uh, yeah. To figure out why it is that Krakoa is moving towards, what did you say again? Arako. Arako. Why Krakoa is moving towards Arako. And on Arako, they encounter some very, very interesting things. So, uh, initial thoughts. What'd you guys, what are you guys feeling about this? I really liked this issue. Um, I I like that it it sets up some interesting questions about like what's going on here, and like gives me some threads to to want to pull on. But above and you know, I think beyond that is I just really liked the interplay between Scott and his kids. You know, um, hmm. some of those some of those moments were a little bit. They felt a little bit like, I think, ham-fisted in there. Like, I think particularly as the as the problem escalates. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know, like, as much as I like seeing Cyclops as, like, uh, the soldier, you know, it was kind of nice to see him, like, I don't know, like, have moments of normalcy, too, you know? Um, like, that thing where he's like, oh, like, we're going to go on this trip together. I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, like there are little little quiet moments like that that I thought played, um, even though not all of it necessarily was a hundred percent for me. Like I definitely think this this was uh, particularly in the beginning. There's a bit of an issue of that whole like very comic booky expositional dialogue, you know, of like explaining Krakoa when it's like we know how Krakoa works. You know, these characters know how Krakoa works. Yeah. Like, he's like, off the southern coast of our sentient mutant homeland. It's like, yeah, dad, we know. <laughs> so, hit or miss, but some of it some of it did work for me. Okay, Kale? Yeah, I, I feel the opposite of Pete. I didn't like the, the character stuff almost at all. Same. <laughs> uh, the, there's something about... I don't know, maybe it's just this version, but there's something about Cyclops who, if he's at ease, he sets me on edge. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but I liked I liked the other things Hickman brought to it, like the uh, the this summoner child and the, the mythology of, the further mythology of Krakoa and Arako and um, that stuff to me was a lot more interesting. Um, I I felt I feel like last issue I liked the whole Summers family dynamic a lot better, mm. um, as well as you know the stuff that came before it the the Nazi gorillas or whatever the fuck. And <laughs> I just yeah the 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 first half of this issue just didn't do a lot for me okay i'm very interested by the end of this issue that was the thing i think was the most engaging is like 
the apocalypse of it all. Well, let's uh, let's 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 get into this. So, first of all, I need to point out that uh, Mr. Hickman needs to do a better job because this issue contains yet another spelling error uh, in one of the infographics. Uh, there's, it's the one that talks about the summoners and, and what they can do. It says time contunes to grow short for Araco, which of course is supposed to say continues. So let's, uh, let's do better. There were, who there edited was, this one? <laughs> there was, uh, another one further down that I caught twice on the same page. What was that? Uh, I gotta find it. It was on, uh, it was on one of the infographics. Something was called. Oh, may, oh, maybe this was in. Um, this might actually. I think this was in um, Fallen Angels. Oh, okay. Uh, it started with a C. I remember that. Either way, editorial yeah. should yeah. should be catching that. So, uh, <laughs> yep. I want to start up. with Cyclops because I really just I'm not I'm, I don't know what's happening with Cyclops, and you know I've I've spent time on this podcast talking about the fact that Cyclops is really weird and uh, this issue just continues it. I've never seen Cyclops uh, really be paternal with his children. Uh, mm. And it's weird that he even has these strong feelings towards these people because they're not even from this timeline. Like C- Cable, you know, like Cable Cable this isn't even the version of Cable that Cyclops knows, right? Because the right. version of Cable yeah. that Cyclops knows is older than him. And dead. And now dead. So this young Cyclops <laughs> just sprung up. I mean, in, in, in current timeline, it's probably only been a few weeks since this guy came around. Uh, if not a couple of months. Yeah. So Cyclops doesn't know him. And this version of Cable absolutely does not know Cyclops. So I don't get what that is. And then with Rachel, she's been around a lot longer, but I've just never really seen them interact in this way before. Maybe I'm missing out, but I don't get it. Well, I I think there's there's an argument to be made there that like uh there 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 wasn't an opportunity before that, right? Because of the way that the mutants lived and and I'm not saying that that's just justification, but like now they're all living together in this new home. They're trying to be a family. Like, this is a new age for them. And, you know, whatever. Maybe Cyclops is trying to be a dad, you know? But he's wearing it like a glove that's always fit. And that's what's weird. It's, it's yeah, not, that's it's fair. It's not odd. Like, if, if he's trying, like you said, that's a story beat. So you would show that by it being awkward. Right. But this is just, like, this is what it is. Yeah. Well, it's, a, I think it's, like, I think it's that. That thing of like you know we saw we saw in um, uh, Hawksbox that you know he he comes back you know from the dead or whatever and you know the professor fills his mind with all the appropriate memories right. or whatever and if this isn't the Cyclops that we know <laughs> then it's basically just telling another human being oh yeah your name is Scott Summers and these are your kids and it's that guy going. Okay, these are my kids. <laughs> Guess I better go do something yeah, with them. Dad. Go better, like, try to connect with them or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but even they 
don't respond with any kind of awkwardness at all. They're just down for it. Uh, and Cable, we yeah. understand him to be a very hardened, you know, war-torn character. And here he's just, you know, just quipping and joking. And Is that what young Cable is oh, like? Yeah. In, because between the two books, I haven't gotten that impression yeah, at I've, all. I've, yeah. I, not to say that he doesn't have that experience, but I've also gotten the impression that, like, because he's young, he's not, like, hard. Yeah, you guys, you, are, you guys are only reading him now. This character's not new to me. Yeah. So this is not consistent with him from X-Force, which was okay. this year. You know, like, it's not like there's been time for him to grow into this or whatever. He just seems very comfortable. And maybe that's the Krakoa effect, but um, it just doesn't really resonate with me based on what I've seen from the character prior to now. So I don't know. There was that call out in Fallen Angels where like X twenty three is like he deserves this and everything and like whatever. So yeah, he grew up like, in to hell. your point, maybe that's right. Yeah, so maybe that's what we're supposed to take away from it is that like he's opening up because he's not in that situation anymore but to your to the, your point about what i said about cyclops that should be text not subtext because the what came previously doesn't necessarily like inform that you know like if that is what's going on you should probably make more of an effort to make that clear yeah so that it doesn't feel dissonant yeah but that's the thing is like i don't have that context because like i haven't read x-men in so long like for me the new status quo is hoxpox so anything that came before that's in that gap between whenever joss whedon's uncanny run ended in like 2008 and now astonishing thank you um that you know like i that's all gap for me yeah sure and i'm sure it is for a lot of people um but for those of us that that's not the case for there are some things that are just striking me weird um but in any event we move forward do you feel like there are things that are going to get touched on or do you think it is just a like retcon the cable thing i think is a retcon but or 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 moving forward for the character uh sure the cyclops thing it's just i just i refuse to believe that this is just who he is and there's nothing at all abnormal i think there's some select selective memory implants, like what right. Kale said, yeah, or something, man. Because this is just—I don't know. I'm not the Have only we, person saying okay. this. I—I I, I don't know. I, I feel like the fact that you also feel that way about Jean and that she's taken back the Marvel girl persona led me to think that there's credence to that theory. Other than um, when he comes back to life in Hawksbox, have we seen Cyclops without, like, out of uniform? No, I don't think so. And we watch him get brought back to life twice, but that's it, to my knowledge. So, again, this issue is really centered around uh, Krakoa and Arako, sort of their reuniting, and they have like planet up. Uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They have like. Sex with each other. Yeah, island, island sex, sex. The islands fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's very. I love how they're just like. There's like that moment where they're like, "Are they?" And Cyclops is like, "I honestly don't even want to know. Like, I don't. Whatever. Sure." <laughs> but but Araco is sort of infested with demons, and there are people here. Pe- people I use that that term loosely who can summon demons actually. 
And for those of you who are keeping score at home, this all ties in to Inferno, the event that took place in the 90s, I believe, uh, that centered around Madeline Pryor, which became the Goblin Queen and all that jazz. And that was a piece of, 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 of specifically Powers of Ten that kept coming up. And this is definitely following that. Um, and it would, it would make sense for the book that's focused on the summers to deal with that, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, so we've got this new character we're introduced here to here who I don't believe had a name. Um, no, but just the summoner. Yeah, yeah. but is a, is a is a high summoner at that. So this this person is capable of summoning demons, which is definitely put on display here. Um, what do you guys think is going on, if if you have any thoughts at all, with Arako and Krakoa and demons and all that? I am deeply confused by it. I gotta say because the the introduction of apocalypse at the end and him having a, a broader connection to it is like very i think that complicates it in a way that makes it like that makes me have more questions than theories right um but i also when i was reading it 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 made me think of something that you brought up during our uh conversation around um excalibur which was that it's kind of weird that Apocalypse is on this team of, like, magic users, even though that's not something that's necessarily part of his history, but, like, he is kind of always loosely associated with magic or, like, mysticism because he's so old. And this made me think, like, oh, maybe there's more to that connection than we realize. Another key point is in the in the infographic that discusses what a summoner is and says... Uh, a summoner of Arako can bridge the chasm between the lost island of Arako and the land beyond the wild borders of Otherworld. Otherworld mm. is where uh, stuff was going down in in uh, Excalibur. That's, right. That's where those characters uh, were at. That's where um, uh, who got stuck there? Betsy, but then she manages to come through. Uh, that's where all that happened. And remember... That they couldn't open a portal to get they, they, there was a, so apocalypse was trying to open a portal over there something to that effect and then it got closed off so Arako apparently there's a way to get there from here that's what I got out of it yes yeah that was what I thought was the case as yeah. well so really impl- interesting implications there as well and I wonder how that all ties in um, and then you brought up Apocalypse again. Here, Apocalypse is like a hero mm-hmm. because he fought back the demons. But then, why is the well, power of a son of Oracle to summon demons? Well, he also says that um, Apocalypse says that uh, this summoner is a child of of war. Yeah. So I I'm I'm curious, and and you know we've sort of said this all along i'm I'm curious if this is going to be if we're looking at like the seeds of apocalypse um of his uh, coup or his betrayal but he seems like like i thought that too immediately but then his last line or his last couple of lines is 
uh, he's asked, will you save us? And he says, I can, I will, for I mean to save all of my children, those of Krakoa and those of Arako. So I got more the vibe, not that he's going to tear these things down, but he's actually going to be the one that bridges the gap. I completely agree. Yeah. But I, I, I don't necessarily think that he's going to tear it down. I do wonder if we're going to see him turn on the on the X-Men and maybe try and take it from Xavier and and Magneto and and Moira. It's possible, but I just I don't I don't see it. I really don't. And I I feel like they're like like these this is another example of a moment that exists to show us a different softer side of Apocalypse. And I don't believe that all of that is being done just so they can have us like be quote unquote faked out to just do the most predictable thing possible. I really don't, you know, and like the fact that we've now had threads in multiple different books in this family that show that side of him, the one who wants to join in the celebration of Krakoa but doesn't know how, or the one who is connecting with the the team in Excalibur to try and solve this problem for mutant kind. This this one who embraces this, you know, I guess grandchild of his in a weird way and it's like I'm going to save everybody. Like I this doesn't feel like the conqueror apocalypse. This feels like a warrior who's been allowed to put down his blade and is thinking about the future in a way that he I, I've never seen him portrayed anyway. You know, and and I I can't think that that's all for nothing. So there is a way that I could see what you're saying being right, Kale, and it's it's this. It's it, it's that Moira X is still a secret. And when mm. that secret comes out, it could lead to Apocalypse being like, you guys are unfit to do this because you set up a house of cards. And I'm going to take this from you before you destroy it. That's That's the only thing I can think of. That's possible. I also wonder if... Krakoa, as it stands, is is a mutant haven. So if Apocalypse is going to try and bring other species onto it, they might not have that. They might not have what? Sorry. They might not be okay with that. Oh. Another yeah. race or whatever, you know, being involved in the, in, in the island. It's weird too because like the the Arako wrinkle there, like there's clearly a connection between Krakoa and Arako, and like can they peacefully coexist with the you know children of Arako living on Arako and you know the mutants live on Krakoa? Like I don't know, but like there's, I, and, there's a lot of implications there that are very interesting. Especially given that it's in the aftermath of Charles dying and then being at a point of feeling vulnerable. And also that the only – and Scott addresses this in the the book – the only person who can talk to the island is in space. That I also wanted to bring up because I remember when we were talking about New Mutants and being like, it feels like this doesn't matter and it doesn't have any implications on the broader story. And you're like, oh, there they are. That's why it matters. (laughs) But – who it says Cyclops signed off on that? Why? Like, where was Professor X? Where was Magneto? Why is Cyclops the one who has authority to make that call? He's the field leader. 
the thing is that I don't I don't know that the implication there is that Cyclops as a uh, like official approved it as much as it was that when they came to him and were like, "Can we use your portal to get on the Starjammer?" He was like, "Yeah." So he just went. Yeah, I don't and think that it wasn't. was like uh, him making the official call as much of it was him just letting them do what they wanted to do. But it, and but he it, didn't know who was necessarily involved. In 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 a in the position that Cyclops is in, though, that is an official call. You know, it's not like he's just yeah, a dude. Yeah, fair enough. So that seems very strange. And I kind of read that in the same way that Magneto allows Psylocke to go do her mission, where it's like, I'm I'm okaying this, even though I'm not going through the proper channels, because I am. Well, Magneto is the proper channels, though. Right, but he doesn't, like, when he approves Psylocke's mission, it's not an, at an official capacity, right. right? Like, Cyclops is someone who plays by the rules always. It just doesn't feel correct. It's but, weird. Uh, the other thing was... What the hell is happening that Professor X is still dead? Because this is obviously not taking place like the, you know, the day after, you know. Um, or actually, I guess we technically don't know if this takes place after he died. But because Fallen Angels does, it makes me feel like this does too. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess. Oh, I guess no, my- he is dead because Magneto says that. No, that's in, in Fallen Angels, yeah, right? Fallen I'm getting, Angels, I'm yeah. getting my wires crossed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I just got the impression that I feel like they did say something about it in this issue. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, first page of the book. Oh, Scott. Scott says a lot yesterday amid all the drama unfolding on Krakoa. So I'm, I'm assuming that means the attack. So this would be the next day, I guess. Oh, okay, so I was literally wrong. It does take place on the next day. Um, yeah. Huh. Surely then <laughs> that maybe maybe it's just you know he's he's going to be brought back, but he's just gestating or something, and we'll see that here in the next couple issues of everything else. And actually, yeah. the the uh, the recap does also mention. The assassination of Charles that's- Xavier. So, okay. okay. So that's fine. Go. We know from the solicits of a future issue of this book, which I, I can't recall which one it is, but we see that Professor X, Char- uh, Professor X, Magneto, and Apocalypse are all dressed up fancy and they go to this mm-hmm. thing. So he's one million percent coming back. That's not that's not even in question. No. No. I, I, think, I think what we need to do uh, for our own benefit is here in these conversations is refamiliarize ourselves with the issue where they explain how resurrection works. Cause I feel like there's a timeline for why it takes a certain amount of time. Like, I think it takes several hours to do. So if it happened yesterday, like they could be in the middle of doing it right now. We just don't know. Well, remember I, I was, I was under the assumption that it, it wasn't yesterday, but now that we know it's yesterday, yeah, that, that it was a, a while later. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I also think that like, you know, there's, heightened drama here and they're spreading it out over six books and Mm -hmm. you know sure who knows how this is going to work in the real the real canon Mm -hmm. um as far as the the um the cypher thing is concerned yeah scott scott legitimately does say uh that uh 
someone had the bright idea of letting Doug Ramsey and company use our gateway to the Starjammer. And then he he's asked, it was you, wasn't it? And he says, this is the voice of a guilty, guilty man, man, Rachel. Throw the book at me. So, like, hey, man, what the fuck? <laughs> he, he fucked the fuck up. Like, <laughs> It's just super casual. I don't know. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess it's just one of those things, you know, how do you, how do you assume a, an assassination is going to happen? And then how do you assume another island is going to show up in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. And, and yeah. I guess this, so that decision coupled with Professor X dying in the first place is meant to give us the idea that the characters are just simply not on, not on the ball. They're not on guard because they think that they're safe. Yeah, like taking that back to the um, X Force issue with what Wolverine talks about is like they're safe, they've let their guard down. Yeah, and now they're paying the price for that. Yeah. Mm. So uh, before we move on completely, just you know, we've we've talked about the theories and and analyzed it, uh, but did you guys actually like the issue? Did you enjoy what was put out there? Yeah, I would say I enjoyed it overall. I don't think I liked it as much as the first issue, um, but. It's interesting, you know. Um, maybe it, it didn't land across the board, but um, it, it didn't. It certainly didn't turn me off, you know. Yeah, I think I am on that same level. It, um, it, it, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, I think now we're gonna start kind of getting into the point where it's like, okay. Now there are six X-Men books that I have to keep track of, and I, I wonder how the continuity of it all is going to get bogged down as they kind of start actually spreading out, you know? Mm. The thing is, they're all a lot more connected than I think we thought they were going to yeah. be. You know? Like, there there's clear connective tissue between each of them, and there's going to be ramifications, but my my point my point with that is like if you have to pick up every book every week, how you know how long is that going to stay interesting? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It remains to be seen. Uh, for me, it'll stay interesting until this thing's over. Uh, and that's that's why I'm so enthralled is that it's it's a connected story, and for me, that's always the most interesting thing about shared universes. I really don't like when they're not connected, and so the fact that all the X Men books, you don't you don't literally need to read them all because you you will get like for example, if you just read this issue and you read the previously on, like be better than me and do it because obviously I suck and didn't therefore I didn't know that this was taking place after X Force, um, you would know that he got assassinated, Professor X, and that's all you need to know from that book. You know whether the book is good or not is really not of consequence. When it comes to, do I want to spend $4 on this comic or not? You know, um, in the sense of keeping up with the story. You can keep up with the story without spending your $4 on X-Force. And yeah. so for people like me who want it all, I can do that. For people who don't care necessarily about every one of these books, I think you will still be able to follow along. And that's very good. Uh, as for this issue, I really did enjoy it. Um because of the implications, less about what exactly happens. I don't. I still don't know what's going on with Cyclops. It's 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 bugging me, and I really hope that this is just isn't Jonathan's take on Cyclops because that would be a bummer. 
Um, mm. And yeah, I love Apocalypse. I think right now he might be my favorite character in Krakoa. He's definitely the most interesting mm. one to me. I completely agree with that. I, I still think that like <laughs> my Magneto bias is showing because I've been captivated like every time he's in a scene. Yeah. But like Apocalypse is the one character who feels like he has the most to grow. And like that makes him interesting to me. Like ever ever since we went to that panel and hearing Teeny Howard talk about like him having things he wants to achieve aside from war, I'm like, cool, what are they? Like I I'm really interested to see where that character goes and what the roadmap for him looks like moving forward. Yeah. Uh oh, and of course we would be completely bad at this if we didn't talk about the art. Uh I thought that the art was strong. So, you know, we, mm-hmm. you know, your mileage may vary on Yu's work. Uh, he has his fans, he has his detractors, and they always come out in droves whenever he draws a book, uh, particularly the, the detractors. But I thought he did a really good job here. Um, I, I really love the, the demon stuff. Um, it's super Cthulhu-esque. And, uh, yeah. you know, he did a really good job with that. I can't think of a time when I've ever seen him draw that type of thing. Um the action was really strong. You know, his work is a little stiff when it comes to the action. It doesn't. It's not really that fluid. But um, he does it well, especially because these are characters who are shooting or using some kind of blast, and so it doesn't. It doesn't require the uh, the feeling of kinetic movement that a lot of other artists are really tremendous at. That personally, I don't feel like is necessarily his strong suit, and so I felt like he really uh, shined here. Um, and I particularly loved the coloring in the scene with Apocalypse towards the end. I thought that was beautifully colored and and, and drawn. I was going to say I really liked the um, like the flat white that the uh, the summoner yeah. has. I think that's really unique in in this specifically this and i would imagine it's gonna you know continue but um she kind of reminded me of the black swans or like the the nylos yeah there 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 is something very specific about how flat this character is colored though Mm -hmm. um they're very when when it seems like they're not doing anything especially like when they first the group first meets the summoner there's very little shadows on on them i think it's really unique and really interesting yeah and even in the um the scene with apocalypse like there's a lot less moonlight on them and stuff and yeah 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 it's interesting yeah it's a cool design for sure i yeah i, I agree with you sean I, I like i like the artwork in this one and um i i would agree the action doesn't necessarily feel fluid but i feel like that that uh that first like that big pi- picture of them like ju- jumping into the fray and everything like it feels like more like kind of like summing up the battle but that works with characters who have this kind of power set i think it's not like like yeah this style probably wouldn't work with like spider-man but like that's fine yeah all right so that's going to do it for our, our review of x-men number two uh we are going to be changing the way that we're doing our reviews for these books because there are so many of them and you know, we, we, this is it. We've reached the end of the line with the number ones. And, uh, 
it feels good to be on the other side of it, but there's a lot more to come. So uh, we won't necessarily be doing all of the reviews for all of the books. We won't necessarily be doing them on this platform. We may have, you know, additional content that will roll out for those reviews if we do decide to do them. Uh, you guys will be, you know, made aware and, uh, you know, it'll be out there if you want to follow along. So, uh, you know, we'll let you know what's what's going to happen with that. Otherwise, and please, please let us know what you want us yeah. to uh, review. Because listen, we're here be for you and because of you. So please tell us what to do. Yeah, if there's any of these books that you're dying to watch us keep following, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, otherwise, you can reach out to us on all of our platforms to talk to us about what you want to see us do, what you thought about these books, what you thought about the first. Uh, six number ones. You know, did you like them? Did you hate them? How would you rank them? Um, we we would love to hear from you. All podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals, at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. The Comics Pals at gmail com is our email if you want to get us that way. And of course, uh, you can't necessarily talk to us on YouTube. You can leave us comments, of course, on our videos. But we would really appreciate it if you guys checked out our videos, uh, leave us a like, subscribe to our channel. Uh, that's really helpful. And uh, make sure you hit the notification bell so that you're made aware whenever our content drops. Our YouTube is going to be coming, be becoming very important. So you want to stay tuned to that. And keep your eyes peeled for the Secret Wars book club, which will be dropping, I believe, next week. So, um, you know, mark your calendars. <sighs> uh, let's do some plugs, Pete. Thanks for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about what's going on in the world of X-Men. I'm very interested to hear some other opinions uh, because, you know, so I think for this first batch of uh, number ones, I'm still feeling pretty good about it, you know? Um, some better than others, but overall, definitely, definitely still in for this ride. So I'd love to uh, chat with you if you're uh, feeling the same way. Or if you don't, hit me up. And uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can go uh, find the rest of my work over at PeteAndBessie.com or uh, visit uh, LootPots.com where I've got uh, the podcast that I host, which is a weekly Nintendo show, and uh, their Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. Um, so if you want to go listen to me yammer on about other stuff, there are plenty of options for that. Awesome. Uh, Kale? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TotoInto. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Um, I'm only interested in Pokemon right now, so if you want to talk to me about anything other than that, I'm I'm not here for it. Actually, yeah, fuck that. Talk to me about Pokemon. <laughs> uh, you can find my work, including the comics I do with uh, several other people, including my good friend Letty Wilson and uh, my good friend Faye Stacy at uh, KaleWard.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. As for Phil... You can find him at Cyborg Bebop. Don't know why you'd want to. That's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P. Uh, and uh, when it comes to Marco, you can find him at Mr. Marco Animoto. Go, uh, go wish him well. Go talk about Swamp Thing. I think he would like that. Thank you very much, Mr. Marco Animoto. Oh, that wasn't bad, actually. I thought that would go a lot worse. That was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh... As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. 
Hit me up to talk about the severe lack of Jean Grey in these books. I know she's uh, in two of them, but I feel like she could be in at least four more. So with that, we are the Comics Pile signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.